Welcome to the Motherhood Reimagined podcast, where we celebrate all paths to motherhood. I'm your host, Sarah Kowalski. Whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to be one, or already raising kids, this is the place for inspirational stories, expert advice, and informative guides celebrating those who didn't follow the rules as they share the heartache and joys of their paths. Be informed, be inspired, because you do not need to feel alone. Today, I'm here with Anne. Hi, Anne. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. Thanks for joining me. Sure. So to start off, I wanted to ask what you thought your life was going to look like when you were a child and what you expected would be the outcome in terms of family and sort of the life you dreamed of. Gosh, I can remember when I was much younger. I was married by 21. I would had two kids by 23. Like I had the picket fence and the and the dog and everything else. And um, obviously, I I have not had quite that experience, but mm. that was my dream. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, can you tell us a little bit about what your path to motherhood ended up looking like in the end? So I joined the military at 19, which really set kind of a standard for relationships and expectations of relationships. They're not very good in the military for the most part. There are definitely some very good relationships in the military, but there's a lot that are not. And I think that really defined my relationship with men. Hmm. And I found that it was very noncommittal, but I really wanted kids and I definitely didn't practice sex the way you ought to have, but I never got pregnant. And I finally realized with my final relationship at around the age of 31, that when he told me I went to the doctor and I'm infertile, it was like this fog was lifted. You know how anything can happen because you're in love Mm. when you think you're in love? It was like, as soon as I learned this information about him, I discovered that I did not love him. I didn't even really like him. He had a lot of values that I didn't align with. And I was dating him purely for that ability to obtain sperm. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) So that's when I was like, okay, I need to go down a different avenue. And I started doing research and reading books and just learning more and more about the community of single mom by choice. Mm. Cool. That's I love that. That's I think we probably we don't always have such a stark realization of that, but I think most of us probably have some experience with that realization of like, oh right, sperm. I just need yeah. sperm. <laughs> Very <laughs> <That's> cool. <it. laughs> yes. So tell us a little bit about what the the path to actually getting pregnant was for you. So for me, I actually had a friend at work that I worked with who has been going and had been going through fertility treatments for a long time. And so I had kind of this fertility mentor. And I remember telling her how I wanted to have kids and like, what was this whole fertility thing? Because she had experience there. And she's actually the one that opened my eyes to now she's a happily married woman trying to get pregnant with her partner. But she's the one that pointed out to me like, hey, you don't necessarily have to do this by yourself. And so that's when I like went on a couple blogs. Mm -hmm. And that's really the only source that I had. I had this novel idea of I'm going to do this without a husband, not even realizing that there was this whole community out there. Mm. I'm in 
I thought that I was an anomaly. Here I am being the family pariah again. (laughs) (laughs) And one day I started going on and finding sperm banks. I just looked at some of the major ones. I I now know that there's a ton to choose from. At the Mm -hmm. time, I I Googled sperm bank. Like, what do I have to do? And just started going through profiles. And then I reached out to a fertility clinic, my friends, and I said, hey, I want to do this initial meeting. And I went to this interview kind of with the fertility clinic. And for me, there was a huge fear surrounding this. There was this judgment fear. There was this, can I do it fear? And I coped with that by like one step forward. Just just mm-hmm. put the next step on the books, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so, yeah, I hope that answers. Yeah. And then so did you end up working with that fertility clinic? I know you had some sort of issues down the road with your fertility clinics. So if you want to sort of talk about how you chose them and then how how you ended up getting pregnant. I, I did. So I ended up going with that, her fertility clinic. I really used, she's a researcher and I was a quickest to the end line. So I said, <laughs> your research is good enough for me. I'm going to go with this clinic. And really the research that she did, which was looking at the arts website on like, how how good is this clinic? How successful are they based on my criterion of donor sperm and using my own eggs at my age? How successful were they? And they had very high marks. I chose to do a frozen embryo transfer, which they also had really high marks on. And But I can remember in my first interview with them for women who have not ever flirted with a fertility clinic. <laughs> they yeah, they they interview you as much mm-hmm. as you interview them. And I didn't realize that part. Like mm-hmm. I didn't I I figured they were interviewing me because I had to convince I felt like I had to convince them like I'm a single mom by choice, like this is what I want to do. And of course they were like, well, we need you to go see a psychologist. And I had to be cleared by a psychologist before they would accept me as a patient. But I didn't really think about the fact that I could also ask them questions. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I didn't even realize you could interview your doctors until I didn't like a doctor once. (laughs) 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 But so I just kind of went down this path. I chose sperm from, I use California Cryo Sperm Bank. Mm Mm-hmm. I didn't really have any reason other than they showed me pictures. I got pictures for free of childhood pictures where the other banks that I had looked at, and I can't even remember their names, it was just description. Mm -hmm. And so I really liked being able to see a hint of what I could eventually have as a child. Mm-hmm. And so that's really the only reason why I went with them. I narrowed it down. A lot of people I listened to, I read a bunch of information on kind of the trends that women use in order to pick their donor. Mm. And I was the complete opposite. <laughs> I was like, I want a kid with blonde hair. I want a kid with blue eyes. Let me put in those features. And yeah, I'll check the medical stuff once I find the traits that I like. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So that was really important to me. I wanted kiddos that looked like me. Mm -hmm. So that's where my search led. Blonde hair, blue eyes. I didn't like any of the offerings. And so I expanded my search to brown hair, blue eyes. And that's where I found the right person for me. Mm -hmm. I specifically chose anonymous. I didn't want to have the at 18, they can reach out to you. That Mm -hmm. was really important to me not to have that. Mm -hmm. 
I think I've changed my position now, but that's okay. <laughs> and from there, I ordered the sperm. We did one IUI that failed. And then we started to do a second IUI. I learned that I have PCOS, which means that I had not been ovulating for most of my adult life. Mm. And so I had the egg capacity. I don't even know what hormones they check for. I've forgotten at this point, but I had the capacity of eggs of a typical late teenager, mm. according to my doctor. So I just... Oh, interesting. Because, and that was because you hadn't been ovulating. So your eggs were... Sort of, right. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And I would go like years between periods. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I guess, like, yay. <laughs> 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 I have to deal with that. But luckily, I had no other issues than anovulation was kind of my final diagnosis, which probably is why me going through these boyfriends that I had, I never did get pregnant. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So second IUI, we canceled and they, my clinic particularly liked to do three IUIs before going to IVF. Mm -hmm. I'm an analytical thinker. I want to know the price. I want to know how, how much, how likely is it to occur? What's the percentage of success? And I decided at that point after the canceled IUI, because I needed help and medication to ovulate, I was having to use the IVF medication during my IUI, mm. which brought the cost right. way up. Mm-hmm. So I told my doctor, I don't want to do any more IUIs. Oh, and I only bought two vials of sperm. That was it. (laughs) (laughs) No, yes, two vials of sperm, which they say, oh, buy enough. Mm -hmm. But I just, I'm cheap. I'm inherently frugal. So I failed one IUI, then decided to go straight to IVF. My ovaries at the point of IVF extraction were eight centimeters each. Yeah, it was very painful. To give you an example, your ovary is typically two centimeters. Uh. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And when I went under to have my eggs extracted, they pulled 42 eggs. Oh my word. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. (laughs) 33 of those eggs were um, mature and 31 of them fertilized. And from there, I ended up with 12 viable embryos in the freezer. Wow. So I have like a football team (laughs) in the freezer. Right. And so my mentor, and I know this is taking a while, I'm sorry. No, that, I, take your time. Don't even worry. My mentor, she has been trying to do IVF for over seven years mm. as of today. Mm. And she's never been successful. Mm. And because of this, and this being my only window into the fertility world, was this one person who was helping me, I thought the chances were none. Mm-hmm. Like, I would transfer one embryo and it would fail. And every single, like IVF was one expense to go to the freezer, but every single time you do a transfer, that was another $3,000 investment. And so I weighed costs to benefit and I said, I want to do two embryos. I knew that there was a chance of twins, but I was told there was a 60%-ish chance that you would end up with one if you transferred two, about a 25%-ish chance that you would get twins Mm -hmm. and a less than 1% chance that you would end up with triplets. Mm -hmm. I always compare it to when you get your birth control pills, it's like less than 1% chance of getting pregnant. That's negligible. Right, (laughs) right, right. Like that's not going to happen. I'm not that like lucky per Mm -hmm. se. Mm -hmm. So I transferred two eggs. 
So I, I had my pull in February. I had one cycle, and then I scheduled my transfer for the end of March, March 28th. And I went in. I took my best friend with me. She was really supportive, and I wanted somebody to share mm-hmm. in this with me. Mm-hmm. And so I took her, and I remember, so the transfer was a Thursday, I think. And by Sunday, I was getting dizzy spells. Oh, wow. And of course, I was like, that means nothing. Like, I haven't drank enough water, right? <laughs> So that was three days later by Wednesday, which I was, you're supposed to do a two week wait. So by mm-hmm. Wednesday, I went ahead and took an at home pregnancy test. Mm. That thing was so blazingly positive. There was, <laughs> I mean, wow. It, it was like, normally if you take it that far in advance from your two week wait, it's like this, you're posting it on your Facebook group as like, do you see a line? I think I see a line. (laughs) There was no question. I was pregnant and I was excited. I'm pretty sure lots of curse words came out, emails or text messages flew. Everybody was excited. We were all kind of, I had a really good community around me of friends Mm -hmm. and we were all in this together. So everybody got it text Mm -hmm. message. I was not a secret pregnancy person by any means. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got pregnant. So it took me approximately eight months from the start of IVF procedure to pregnancy. It was quick. Wow. Right. And then, so you had this crazy high or seemingly high pregnancy test. So tell us what happened. Right. So I called my clinic and I said, I have a positive pregnancy test. And they sent me into the local lab, which I chose to do up near my local town. My fertility clinic was about an hour away. And I got a positive. And of course, and then they send you back two days later. And my my fertility clinic called me and said, oh yeah, your first poll, you got a positive 20, an H, HGS level of 20. I think that's the right hormone. HSG, I think it is. There you go. HSG. She said, it's, if it's a 20, you're pregnant and yours was a 301. Oh my goodness. And so I'm like, yes, I'm pregnant. Like, there's no (laughs) way. And she's like, so we're going to go two days later. It should approximately double. So we're going to send you in to have another test. And I went two days. I ended up going three days later because Friday to Monday. And then Monday, it came back at 2,300. So I went from 300 to 2,300. Right. And I called, mind you, I'm ignorant bliss over here. Like, yes, it worked. Mm -hmm. I have a baby in me kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Mm -hmm. And I talked to the nurse and I was like, these numbers seem high compared to what I'm reading on the internet, which I know every nurse and doctor loves to hear. Mm -hmm. And she's like, oh yeah, you're definitely pregnant. You know, there may be two in there, who knows? But she didn't, obviously you don't want to give false hope. So she didn't point anything out. So I went to my, at six weeks pregnant, six weeks, three days, which was a terrible wait. I ended up going in and getting a sonogram and they found two, two babies. And I was excited. Afterwards, the doctor was like, well, don't tell anybody yet. There's the disappearing twin syndrome. And he's like, oh, one embryo split. And I was like, no, it didn't split. We put in two embryos because splitting does not run in my family. There's no way this egg was splitting. So two, two took. And he immediately signed me off like, go ahead. You're six weeks, three days, go to your OB. So he had suggested that only one of the eggs had taken, but that, that, but that embryo had split. 
He was suggesting that the one embryo we transferred has split. And I reminded him, no, we transferred two embryos. Uh And he was like, oh, and he literally said, why did I let you do that? (laughs) (laughs) And I said, because I demanded it, because I did all this math over here. And this is like, gives me the best chances and an economical rate. Like, (laughs) Uh it was all dollars and cents and probability to me. Mm -hmm. Okay. And he was like, okay, you can go to your OB now. And at this point, I had not even chosen an OB because it was my understanding that I would stay with the fertility clinic until 12 weeks pregnant. Mm -hmm. And he released me at six weeks, three days to go forth and prosper. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So I found a OB that week. I went in for about a seven-week, five-day appointment. And I told her I'm pregnant with twins. Here's my sonogram. I'm ready to go. And she said, well, let's give you a sonogram anyways. I know you're eager to see him again. Let's just take a look. And I was like, okay. And I remember getting ready for the sonogram and laying down and the stenographer came in and she's like, oh, she was all chipper. And she started to look and she went, silent. Mm. And I was like, oh, disappearing twin. Mm. She's going to tell me there's only one. But she kind of like made this noise and kept like looking around. And I had no idea what I was looking at at this point on sonograms. Mm -hmm. And she kind of clicked again. And I was like, oh no, I lost them both. Mm. Like (laughs) that was it. Mm. And so I kind of like, I'm in panic, like turning white panic over here. And I said, you have to tell me something because I'm panicking. And she said, well, there's three. Mm. And I lost it. Mm. I immediately started bawling because how do you do three as a single mom by choice? Yeah, You know, mm-hmm. like, and I felt like, I mean, at first I was like, they had to have transferred three embryos without me knowing it. What happened? This does not run in my family. They told me there was a less than 1% chance. That's negligible. This can't happen kind of thing. And that was an emotional 48 hours. I pretty much cried (laughs) the whole 48 hours. And I, I didn't sleep at all. And all I did was research. How could this happen? What has happened? Because I was completely mentally not prepared for that opportunity to have three babies. Right. And all I could think about is how much does it cost? I have to get a new car. I have to get a new house. How am I going to do this while I'm pregnant? I had recently taken my mother in. She had fallen on hard times. And I was balancing that relationship. And it was really difficult. Yeah. And... I did a lot of research and I finally found they used ICSI on my eggs. So the sperm that I had purchased off the internet had low mobility. And because of that, they suggested ICSI. I had 32 eggs and they're like, it's this much for 10 and this much for 18 and unlimited after that. And I was like, go for it. That's a discount per egg, right? (laughs) So they did ICSI on every single one of my eggs. And I found from another fertility clinic in the local area after Googling like a mad woman that they said... If you have done ICSI on your eggs or you are older, the eggshell of your egg, which I didn't even know we had Mm eggshells, is severed. It's a needle going in and breaking that shell where a, a sperm cell wouldn't break it 
upon entrance, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. So when you use those needles, it breaks it. Same thing for older women. If you're over 35, you have a likelihood of egg splitting because that eggshell is now older and weaker. Hmm. So those are your two variables. And they cited a 33% increase in chance of twins, a single embryo split, if you've used ICSI. Wow. That was not factored into my probability. Right. (laughs) (laughs) That was new information to Mm me. Mm -hmm. And I was so mad at my clinic. Like I completely off put responsibility from myself and I blamed my clinic. Like, how could you let me do this without giving me proper like probability. Mm-hmm. Now, looking back at the two embryos I have in a picture, they take pictures of your embryos and hand that to you on the day of transfer. It's very evident to me now that one embryo was already splitting. Wow. And I remember asking about that specific embryo and I was like, what's going on with this dude here? It looks like there's an extra thing hanging off the side of it. And they told me, oh, sometimes embryos schluff excess cells that will die away and you will be left with one like fetus. Like that was a bad cell that got kicked out kind of thing. And no, that didn't happen. It definitely stuck. And so here I was nine weeks at this point pregnant with triplets and I was wigging out. So I called my fertility clinic and I was like, there's three in there. Like, I don't know if you're aware of this. I had made friends with some of the nurses. I had shared my phone number with one particular nurse that I seemed to click really well with. And I called my other nurse, my nurse assigned to me. So it was one sonographer that I clicked really well with and then another nurse. And I called the nurse and I said, I have three. My OB had called them to let them know. And then I called them to let them know. And I said, what do I do? Because I had read on so many like different fertility clinics that you had to sign waivers that if you got pregnant with twins, they would require a reduction or, you know, to me, when you're dealing with fertility and IVF and all the chances of splitting, like what if both of my embryos had split, Mm -hmm. you know, the increased chance of triplets with an ICSI embryo is 15%. What if I had one that split to three and one that split to two? Like there's so many scenarios, I thought that all fertility clinics were more friendly with the, let's do what's safe and healthy for the mother mm-hmm. versus maintaining a dangerous pregnancy. And there are a lot of triplets in this world, but that is a dangerous pregnancy. Mm-hmm. It's dangerous for the fetuses. It's dangerous for the mother. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times triplets are lost at 19, 20, 22 weeks before viability And now you've lost three babies because your body couldn't handle carrying three babies, among other reasons, but that's one of them. So I called and I said, what do I do? And she's like, like, what do you mean? What do you do? And I'm like, well, what are my, what are my resources? Like, do you have a person who got pregnant with triplets? Like, trust fund over there I have access to? Like, you know, (laughs) is there something? Is there something federal? Is there an organization, a nonprofit for these surprise situations you point me to? Reduction? Is there, like, what are my options? These are the things I can think of. And she's like, we we don't give you options. And I remember just kind of being silent. And I'm like, so this, this doesn't happen to anybody else? And she's like, well, we told you that there was a chance. 
And I said, I get that. You said there was a less than 1% chance. And she goes, well, we make life. We don't destroy it. And I remember just saying, okay. And I hung up the phone and just started bawling Mm. again. (laughs) (laughs) Because I was just so lost at this point. Mm -hmm. What do I do? Yeah. I just kept researching and literally I could find nothing, nothing. Nobody talks about this. Mm-hmm. I did find one blog of a lesbian couple who had gone through fertility treatments. They had one child and then ended up pregnant with triplets and they opted to reduce. I read their story and I could relate. I mean, I was pregnancy was a fear-inducing thing, I think, to anybody, but pregnant with three and then being single, to me, that was insurmountable. Mm-hmm. I then purchased a membership, which I did not want to do, <laughs> but I felt my only resource was to purchase a membership to the SNC group, the official mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. You have to pay for annual membership. And I went on there and I Googled all of their forums and I found one entry. And it was another single mom by choice who got pregnant with triplets who opted to reduce. Mm -hmm. And she gave all of her reasons. Everybody was really supportive. And that's when I made my decision that I was going to reduce. And such a peace came over me at that point. Mm. I had a plan. (laughs) (laughs) I like, I knew what direction to go in. And so I found the most amazing doctor. He still gets Christmas cards. Just the most empathetic perinatologist that I've never had a doctor as amazing as Mm. him. And at 13 weeks and six days, I, I had a reduction. And it was one of the hardest things I think I have ever done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, but I think about where my life is now and what wonderful things have happened. And I don't know if I don't know what it would be had I not done that. Mm-hmm. But it is hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, there's something that haunts you when you're faced with that kind of decision. And I was so angry that I was faced with this decision. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I chose to put two embryos. I knew that there was a less than 1% chance. I mean, I weighed this in my brain, but I didn't think it was possible. It is. <laughs> <laughs> right. It happens. Yeah. That's so hard. And did you tell your family and have support from anyone around you or was this all sort of done in by yourself? So I told a couple of my friends. I did tell my mother because she would eventually be nannying my children. Mm -hmm. And I think I was so like set on my decision that it didn't really matter what other people's opinions were. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to hear, oh, you can do it. It'll be okay. Because I felt so strongly that I couldn't do it and it would not be okay. Mm -hmm. And so one of my, one of my dear friends, she started sending me newborn pictures of triplets. Oh my God. And how excited she was. And I remember saying, I need you to stop that. Oh my God. Right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I mean, it hadn't happened. I hadn't had the reduction yet. So I, I chose two people that were going to be my benchmark. One was a really close, very religious friend of mine. She's pro-life. And I told her and I weighed all the options. And she said, you know, I think you're making the right choice. Wow. That's that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, okay. And then I talked to my aunt, who is also very religious. 
and a little more devoutly Mm pro-life. And I talked to her and I asked her to not tell the rest of my family that my family is very religious and I didn't want to, I wanted to maintain any relationships that I could. And I weighed all of the options with her and we talked about it. And the conversation went from, we can make this work to, I think you're making the right choice. And so I had two pro-lifers telling me that I was making the right choice. (laughs) And I felt confident in that choice at that time. Right. Wow. That's incredible. And you did tell your mom either after or before? Before. I I think I came from the OB Mm -hmm. (laughs) in tears. She's like, what just happened? Right. And so (laughs) I kind of, I had to fess up at that point and... I didn't tell my dad. I didn't tell my dad until I want to say it was like a week before the procedure. No, it wasn't. It was after. Mm -hmm. I told him after. In fact, I had no intent. My dad is this like mentor in my life. He's one of the most amazing people. And even telling him that I was getting pregnant on my own was Mm. extremely scary. And he was like, I think you should wait and get married. And I said, but dad, I can go ahead and get married, but I may not actually like that dude. I'm just looking to have a kid and then I'll get divorced. And then you have to pick up the lump of me that that is left when I have to hand my two-week-old baby over to some man that I don't even like. And I have no control over it for an entire weekend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and my dad goes, well... Maybe you are making the right choice then. (laughs) And so that was really hard for me to even tell him. And I was so glad he was supportive of me and my decision. But now to tell somebody that was like a little hesitant at first, like, and by the way, I'm having triplets. (laughs) Like like when I told him it was twins, I'm pretty sure he fell off the treadmill. He was Mm -hmm. like, what? How could this happen? (laughs) Like, imagine if I was like, and I'm having three. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Like, I'm not sure he would have survived. Right. (laughs) Right. So I think I told him afterwards and I said, you know, it's been a really hard first couple of months and here's what I've been going through. Here's the decision I made and I'm having twins now. And I remember he didn't really say much in response. But he also, he didn't make any judgments one way or the other. It was like the perfect response. Mm, mm -hmm. Like, I'm glad you figured it out. (laughs) There was no like opinions injected. There was no like, well, shoulda, woulda, couldas. There was nothing. Mm. He was just like, okay. And we never talked about it again. (laughs) That was it. (laughs) So, and then came twins. Yeah. And how old are your twins now? They turned one on about a month ago, so wow. about 13 months. Wonderful. Yeah. So would you have any advice for women like as they're choosing a fertility clinic then or as they're making the choice around one or two embryos? Yeah. So I wholeheartedly would do two embryos again had I not used a procedure that caused extra chance of splitting. Had I not used ICSI, I was 31 years when they took my eggs out. So I wasn't in the risk factor for age of splitting. I probably still would have put two in. But if you do ICSI, 
I would really weigh the extra chance you have of each individual embryo splitting by 33%, 15% of triplets. And I'm just quoting what I learned on the internet. There may be a peer-reviewed paper out there that says otherwise, but in my case, I just run on, this is a pretty high chance. I do plan on trying again. I want a third. I didn't want three all at once, Mm -hmm. but I would love to have that singleton variance, but I am only transferring one and praying it doesn't (laughs) split the twins. (laughs) Right. So I would say, yeah, follow your, my doctor only wanted to do one. And because of my mentor and her lack of success in fertility, I insisted on two. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I would say if the money is there and that's not a huge hardship for you, start with the one. If the one doesn't work and you're ready to take a little bigger chance, go with the two. Mm-hmm. Be aware that you may be faced with the same decision as me. And, you know, the saddest part about it all was that I finally found this Facebook group that's kind of a universal SMC group. And they led me to the SMC for Multiples group on Facebook. So much more active than the like website. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I discovered in this group of about... 250, I think it's gone up to 300 women now. There's there's two in there that, that have triplets. Wow. And I just wish that I would have been able to talk to them mm-hmm. because every single one of my resources, my, my people, my Googling, my everything was as a single mom by choice, I opted to reduce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I wish I would have had one to say, okay, you did, you did triplets. How did this go for you? Like, what would you recommend kind of thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as far as choosing your fertility clinic, ask them those questions. Is the fertility clinic fundamentally Mm -hmm. Mm pro-choice? I mean, or pro-life because if their core tenant is pro-life, they will shame you mm-hmm. if you decide you've got too many fetuses. Right. I felt very shamed. You know, after after their first Christmas, I sent a it was a birth announcement combined with Christmas card. Mm-hmm. And I sent one to the fertility clinic because I was ready to let bygones be bygones. <laughs> And um, that that stenographer that I had made friends with texted me after receiving that card. Mind you, once they learned that I was having triplets, I never got any contact from that stenographer again. Like mm-hmm. we had been testing, texting as friends, but all of a sudden it went crickets. But after they received that card, she texted me and she's like, you know, how are you? How are the babies? And I was very clear to say baby A and baby B are fine. I gave their names and she said, so only two. And I said, yeah. And I never heard from her again. Mm. And then about four months later, because they have to report everything, the embryologist called me and just standard practice. They, at least I'm assuming is standard practice. They kind of call and they say, okay, how did your pregnancy go? How many how many babies were born? Did you lose any in the process, et cetera? They just want to know for their statistics. And she goes, so how many babies did you have? And I said, I had twins. And she goes, oh, I just knew for sure you were going to have triplets. Mm-hmm. And I like sank. Like mm-hmm. it just all seemed so like they were keeping a secret from me at the time that I had my transfer. Like they were all in, in this club of like, oh, this girl's going to have triplets, but let's not tell her so she can't make a decision because we've already thawed this embryo. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That's scary if that's what happened. 
Maybe. I'm just conjecturing. Yeah. I don't know. No. I mean, you, it's hard to know. But if, if something like that did happen, that's pretty scary. So I think you're right. Finding out sort of the fundamental baseline of what what the beliefs are of the clinic is really important. And in general, I think going in to a clinic feeling empowered about being a single mom, because it sounds like you didn't ask any questions, as you said. And who knows whether that question would have come up at, at all, but you may have gotten, you know, rather than feeling ashamed when you started the process, feeling empowered and being able to be a consumer from the outset. Yeah. It sounds like it would be really important. For sure. I remember one, if I could go back and think about one key indicator that probably should have told me to march my way down the street to the next fertility clinic was I remember saying I wanted to be a single mom by choice, telling him my age, the doctor, and him saying, well, if I were your father, I'd tell you to wait. Mm. And I remember saying to him, well, you're not my father. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, well, you don't have to justify it with me. And I'm like, okay. And I remember being annoyed by that, but I also knew that this was the doctor to have, like he had such high success rates. And like, for me, I wanted a baby. I mean, his opinion really didn't matter, Mm -hmm. right? Whether he was my father or not. But in hindsight, being 2020, that should have been my indicator that like, this is a really like nuclear family pro-life you should be doing this in the proper order of things clinic. Mm-hmm. Right. And when you're a single mom by choice, you are, you're swimming upstream. That's just, I mean, you're literally taking science into your hands. And there's a lot of people out there that don't agree with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you have to be okay with that. And that's where I was like, I was like, you're not my dad. Marion, <laughs> go to the next step. <laughs> But I wish I would have asked some of those more poignant questions. Now, whether or not he would have been honest with me, I don't I don't know. But I never gave him the opportunity to be either. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about your support network and how you've made it work with twins? So, oh my gosh, I have a village. I'm so grateful for the people around me. My mother, nannies. So I'm alleviated from childcare expense. Mm-hmm. I help her in return. It's a give a little, take a little situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I have wonderful friends that, you know, one time my mom was sick and she couldn't watch the kids and I had important meetings at work and I'm able, I have a list of friends that I can call and be like, can I please dump two children on you? Like (laughs) (laughs) we can trade cars and they literally will give me their car. We meet halfway somewhere. They give me their car. I hand them my car and I, it was my first time doing that recently. And I sent a text to my friend who was taking care of my kids. She's like, do you need anything? I know this is the first time you've really been that far away from them. Cause I work five minutes from my home. And I was like, please send a proof of life picture. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to know that they're like having fun. After I gave birth, I had a friend that made me meals. I had told her one of the hardest things is feeding myself Mm. because I'm constantly working with two babies. My mom was, she was in her own place during their first six weeks. And I say that as in her own mental space. And so I was really, truly by myself those first six weeks. I think it was a big change for my mom and she handled that the best way she knew how. 
And mind you, let me preface that with, I was a strong single mom by choice and I did not need your help. (laughs) So this was partly me setting myself up and my mom going through a change that she handled as, as well as she could. And because of that, I remember telling my friend, like the hardest thing to do is eat. Mm -hmm. I don't have time to cook and I, I can't get out of the house. And, oh, she just cooked from scratch, like 30 meals and separated them and just brought them up one day. She didn't ask me, do you want me to do this for you? She didn't ask when's a good day because I'm a single mom by choice and I do not need your help. (laughs) And so had she asked, I would have said, no, no, it's fine. I'm fine. I'm all good. But she just called me one day and she's like, hey, I made meals for you. I'd like to drop them off on Thursday. Is that an okay day? And I was like, yes. Mm -hmm. And thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So she didn't give me the opportunity to say, no, I don't need you. It's okay because I'm a single mom by choice and I don't need your help. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, there's been a lot of I mean, just support. 60 people showed up to my kid's first birthday party. I was flabbergasted. It was amazing. About the same number of people, if not a little bit more, showed up to my baby shower and a handful more that couldn't make it to my baby shower sent gifts. Like the support once somebody knows you and knows your goals and knows this is a decision that you have made, it all of a sudden humanizes this option for people. And people that I thought would be stoutly against anybody doing this, they were my biggest supporters. And friends and family cleared out my gift registry. My only suggestion with gift registries is always send thank you cards and always send paper invitations. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. What advice would you give someone if they were sort of at a crossroads similar to you or sort of looking in general at the single mom by choice path? What would you tell them? If when you think about having children, you can insert any man's face, go with having children. Mm-hmm. Like, don't rush the process of a relationship. I'm not dogging on relationships that have children and work out. If you find that special someone, absolutely. But do not settle your criteria in a partner in order to have children. Mm-hmm. Like, I have another friend. And also, this being a single mom by choice really opens the doors for other people to approach you who have been flirting with this idea. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a friend who desperately wants children and she just cannot get over not doing it in the proper way. And I respect that for her, but really, you know, there's exceptions to every rule and I never have to worry about somebody taking away my children. I never have to worry about what happens at another caretaker's house that I may or may not want them to go see anymore. I made no decisions when it came to names. I, you know, whether I want a vaccine or not, all my decision, circumcision, all my decision, right? Mm -hmm. So I've been really empowered in being able to guide my children the way I really want to. And had I settled for the next sperm maker, I may be really frustrated with how I'm raising my children or how I'm being afforded the ability to raise my children. Mm -hmm. So really, I guess that's the key piece of advice. If you can insert any man's face, 
into that slot of father. Men will be there after you have children. Women will be there after you have children. A partner will come. You will not be a spinster with two or three or one child because you had them. Plenty of people get married after children come along. Mm Mm-hmm. I love your sort of imagery of like insert if you can insert any man's face, then don't do it. But it also sounded like when you came to that, it was because sort of you realized that he wouldn't be able to provide kids. And so that was sort of like the wake up moment for you to say, oh, my gosh, I've been viewing this guy as just a sperm maker. Yeah. Any advice you could give to women to sort of how they like dig deep and figure out whether or not they're looking at a man just as like a sperm donor versus an actual, like that it's the partner that is meant for them. So my mom always has this phrase, if they can sit across from you from the kitchen table and they don't annoy you, that's a good thing. I found in hindsight being 2020, I found that there were a lot of things that annoyed me about this man. There were a lot of things that really bothered me, and I always overlooked that, and I wanted to be in this relationship. But I think that's really advice for any relationship is don't hold on to something that bothers you, right? If you're constantly fighting with somebody, you know, there's your sign. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, a lot of things annoyed me. It wasn't, it started to become not a pleasure to be around him. My friends were warning me, like, he doesn't seem right for you, like, Mm -hmm. Your friends aren't trying to make you break up with your boyfriend because they don't want you to be happy. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> right. 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 So listen to your family, listen to your friends, and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. But no, I don't have specific advice. It's like, now I know why. I just think it's general relationshipy kind of advice. Mm hmm. I just happened to be confronted with that specific situation, which was very fortunate to me. How many people get married and never even think about fertility? Mm -hmm. Right. And what happened if I had already married this dude? And then we started down this like track of, well, let's have a kid. And he's like, oh, I'm sterile. Like Mm -hmm. now I'm getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. So I really think it was just luck and introspection that I was Mm -hmm. able to Mm -hmm. come to that realization. Yeah. And what has been different about being a mother than you expected? I really don't like the newborn stage. (laughs) (laughs) Like I really thought and everybody presents it to you as like, oh, you love every stage. No, they, (laughs) they don't ever say thank you. And you are tired the entire time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, you know, if I could like, that was really hard for me. I treasure the time that I had. I look back at pictures now and I'm like, oh, that was, they're so sweet. I wish they were that small again. And here I am flirting with having another. So clearly I didn't dislike it that much. But in the moment, like I really, really enjoy them as like humans, Mm. you know, like they're, they're one-ish and they have such personalities now and they like, they're doing things. It's so much more fun for me. So my big shocker was like, I don't like this newborn thing. It's really fun to hold other people's newborns. Not so much holding them at three o'clock in the morning. (laughs) Well, I'm sure it's also having two is pretty intense. So I can imagine. Yeah. Makes it even more difficult and harder to be able to, to enjoy it. 
For sure. I have this amazing picture. It's one of the most raw pictures I've ever taken. And it's like me sitting in my bed with one week old babies. I've got one slung over my knee because that's what made him happy at the moment. I've got my boobs in like a pump because my kids (laughs) hadn't learned to laugh yet. Postpartum belly like hanging out over my shorts. I'm holding a bottle in my other kiddo's mouth. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite picture because it's like this realistic glimpse of like life. Mm-hmm. It's it's not all glamorous and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In general, what do you love most about being a mother? Oh, it's these most beautiful little innocent spirits that I mean, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just the most fulfilling thing that now I have these like two humans that I get to mentor, right? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I get to show them life and the love they give you is just amazing. Mm -hmm. Like it's really neat. And I was not one of those people that um, I had severe postpartum depression after I gave birth. And I can remember, it's funny to me now, it was very tragic at the time, but I can remember them like sitting in front of me in their rock and plays and I'm like sitting on the couch crying because that's what you do after you give birth. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking like, who can I call to give them to? (laughs) Like, like, what did I do? What did I get myself into? And like, everyone says like, I fell in love with them right away. I fell in love with them in the sense that these were my humans and I shall protect them. I fell in love with them once we got past that newborn stage. <laughs> like, so don't feel bad if you're like, especially because I was suffering from postpartum depression. There was, there was that void. I always used to think like, oh, people say there's this void. They're just crazy people. No, there's like, it was like this detachment hmm. that was really interesting. And once I got on proper medication, all of that went away. Mm-hmm. And now I'm off that medication. I was on it for about six to eight months. I can't remember exactly. And I weaned myself off of it. And life is amazing. Like I just needed that little bump and that's okay. And do you mind talking a little bit about what it was like, how you realized that you were suffering from postpartum depression and how you got help? Yeah, I cried at everything, like everything. And I remember it was exactly that, like sitting on the couch and going like, who's going to come pick up these kids? Like, <laughs> like, what do I do with them? Like, who's going to, who's going to take them? I'm not sure I'm in this. Like, oh my God. And then feeling guilty about having those thoughts, mm-hmm. you know? And like, and I can remember I went to my two week postpartum checkup and they make you fill out this like questionnaire of like, how are you feeling? And it's very like awkward and kind of corny. And you're like, everybody knows just to put, I'm feeling great. Right. As I was filling out that survey, I was crying. Mm. (laughs) And I remember I went into my doctor my doctor was amazing. And he looked at me and I'm pale because I hemorrhaged during birth and I'm like feeling miserable because I had a C-section and he's like, are you okay? And I was like, no. Mm. (laughs) And I just, cried. And he's like, um, maybe we should try this. And I was like, okay. (laughs) (laughs) And he told me, um, he was like, you know, I don't ever in fact, or near often tell a mom, it's probably better to stop breastfeeding and taking this medication. And he's like, but I'm going to tell you, 
Your babies will live on formula and I want you to live with this medication. (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, it's more important for these children to like have a mother that can function versus this breast is best mantra. And this dude is like a breast is best dude, right? Mm-hmm. And he was able to recognize that for me, where I was at, this just wasn't the best choice mm-hmm. for me and my family. Right. And that's how he was like, uh, you should stop breastfeeding. And I was like, maybe this dude has a point. <laughs> <laughs> and so I cried for 24 hours at the thought of not breastfeeding. And then I called him the next day and said, okay, you're right. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even use cabbage leaves. I just hurt mm. for 24 hours. Oh, yeah. And I pumped all that I could up to the point that I took my first pill. And then I went cold turkey. Wow. Mm-hmm. And then it did the medication kicked in pretty quickly and sort of everything turned around or what happened then? For me, it was 24 hours. Mm-hmm. Like It was like I went to bed one day and woke up the next day a brand new person. Now, I had taken this medication in the past. This is not a normal response. Mm-hmm. It normally takes a couple weeks from what I understand. But I think a lot of it was I had taken the medication before in the past. And then the other part of that was the placebo effect. Mm-hmm. I knew I had a happy pill and gosh darn it, that thing was going to make me happy. (laughs) And it did. So I don't know how much like mental relief Uh that I had an assist played in that. Mm -hmm. That's great. Any other advice you would give to women who are on this path or making any of the choices you needed to make? Be open. Be so open with your family and friends. Do whatever it is. Understand that, you know, Clearly having this attitude of, I am a single mom by choice, I do not need your help, slapped me in the face the first like six weeks of my life, my life with my kids. Mm -hmm. So trust other people to be kind. And I think that's the biggest thing that when you're making a decision that seems like it's easy to judge by people, you tend to hole up and not tell. Not me, because I talk about everything, but... (laughs) The tendency is there. Give people the opportunity to help you, to be kind, to enjoy this experience with you because boy, is it lonely alone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So just to clarify for others. So when you say like, I'm a single mom by choice, I don't need your help. So were you kind of feeling like you didn't have the right to ask for help because you had made the choice to do it on your own or more that you were like a badass and you had gotten yourself into this and you could handle it? I think it was a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Because I was making this choice to do it by myself, I didn't want to imposition anybody. I didn't want other people to have to support me in other ways they typically wouldn't because I made a decision, Mm -hmm. right? And then the other side of that was it was a lot of self-hype talk. You can do this. You've got this. You don't need anybody's help. You're making a great decision. If you have twins, you can do twins. Like You don't need anybody's help. So I think it was a combination of like the the psych up of like, yes, I am a badass. And also I don't want anybody else to have to make changes in their lives because of a decision that I made. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like most of single moms feel a little bit of that. And yeah, that's, that's very well put. And so you would say that attitude has changed now though? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you realize and you kind of humble yourself that you can't do it all alone. I definitely lean on my mom probably 
where I would think more than she would want. But at the same time, I think it's, she enjoys it now. Mm -hmm. And, but there's definitely times where I do have to do it by myself. I've got twins in the bathtub and they're both naked and we're like running through the house with water going everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) So, I mean, I think I have a good balance now of like, yes, I can do it because I force myself to do it. And boy, is it nice when people help. And when they offer, I say yes now Mm -hmm. instead of saying, no, I've got this. It's okay. I'm like, hey, if you're going to offer, mm-hmm. like, like when people are like, I'll babysit your twins. I'm like, there's two of them. Like, <laughs> you know that, right? And if they're like, yeah, I'm like, okay, here's my cell phone. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> here's a bottle. Right. I'll be back. Right. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I've definitely learned how to accept help and to ask for help. There's times when I never would think like, oh, I need to call somebody. And now... I have this like kind of Rolodex of people in my head that I know if push come to shove, they would show up Mm -hmm. and I don't abuse that, but I'm willing now to use that system. Right. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being so willing to share your journey. That's so incredibly vulnerable and I'm sure people have lots of emotions around it, and I really, really appreciate all of your talk about the difficult choices you had to make and even the postpartum depression and all of that. It's been so wonderful. Oh, well, thank you, and you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I just... One of the reasons that I I reached out to you is because I was so alone. I really want to share so that, you know, if there's somebody else that can Google the internet and run across this information... Mm -hmm. I can be one voice of like, hey, there's other resources, like Mm -hmm. (laughs) go find them kind of thing. Yeah. Awesome. I'm so, yeah, I, that's, I really, really appreciate you reaching out and being willing to share. And it's been so lovely talking to you. Yes. It's been wonderful talking to you too. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. I'm so excited to announce the upcoming launch of Motherhood Reimagined Tribe. Tribe is the essential resource for single motherhood. So whether you're contemplating becoming a single mother, trying to conceive, or raising donor-conceived children, then Motherhood Reimagined Tribe can help you embrace your own unique path to motherhood. With our informative guides, blogs, books, services, and support, Motherhood Reimagined Tribe is the perfect place to get the advice and support you need to become the mother you want to be. I'm currently looking for founding members to join one of three tribe masterminds. These masterminds are small, intimate groups of women who are at the same stage of the journey as you. To begin with, I'll have a group of thinkers and triers, egg donor or embryo support, and solo pregnancy. As a founding member of Tribe Mastermind, you will not only get preferred pricing, you will get access to a huge content vault for information for every stage of the journey, weekly group calls with me to go over relevant topics, and connect to others in your stage, and a community forum to connect with others at any time. This will be the cheapest price ever available, so don't miss your chance to join at this rate. If you're feeling really alone and isolated or get easily overwhelmed by the amount of information and decisions you have to make, make sure you don't miss this chance to connect with other women and get access to tons of research that's already been done for you. Head on over to the Motherhood Reimagined website or follow the link in the show notes to apply for your spot as a founding member. And finally, if you'd like to hear more about my journey, please read my memoir, Motherhood Reimagined, When Becoming a Mother Doesn't Go As Planned. 
It's available everywhere books are sold. If you liked today's episode, please head over to iTunes or Stitcher to subscribe and leave a review. I so appreciate your support to spread the word about this project. Next week, I'm joined by Elena, a single mom who recently moved closer to family and friends to get support. She's blown away by what she's discovered as her capacity to love her child, even through the exhaustion of the toddler years. Don't miss it. Bye for now. 